Good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to have the privilege to, to be sharing with you today. Uh, I've, I've also appreciated the privilege of working more closely with our pastors. Um, you know, I knew they were doing a good job. We all know they're doing a great job, right? Uh, but to work alongside of them uh, has been a, a real blessing and a real privilege, as well as the other folks who uh, serve this congregation and lead this congregation in a ministry capacity, uh, one of which is my son. And I just told him the other day that, uh, you know, we were working together in the, in the library. And I said, Matt, this is, this is really cool that we're working together. It reminds me of when I was a kid working alongside my dad in the bakery in Spring City. You know, it's still the family business, but it's the family of God, you know, which is even more awesome when you when you think about it. Uh, somebody asked me the, the uh, other day, you know, well, how does it feel to be working alongside all these young pups, you know, these, these young ministers? I said, well, it keeps me young, and I have more hair than they do. <laughs> you don't need to applaud that, because I'm, now I'm treading on thin ice by even saying that. Our scripture for today is found in Luke's gospel. It's the second chapter, and it's verses 21 through 40. And I'm going to ask us all to stand as we uh, dig into the word here today. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong 
and was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. May the Lord add his richest blessing to the reading of his most precious word. You may be seated. There was a reason that God selected Mary and Joseph to be Jesus' parents, and many reasons, actually. We can't help uh, hope to know all of them, but Scripture tells us the following. About Mary, the angel told her that God was with her. What a wonderful thing to know that God is with you and with us. The angel went on that she had found favor with God, and I can't think of anything better than to know that you are in God's favor. About Joseph, we know that he was a descendant of David's, which was important for the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And Matthew writes that he was a righteous man. As evidenced by his actions, he was an obedient man. His actions following the appearance of the angel to him in a dream, he was obedient. And it's obedience that brings us to the passage that we'll explore for today. We learn that Jesus was raised in a, in a church-going family. Mary and Joseph are bringing the baby to participate in the ancient ceremonies that were connected with the birth of, of any child. And it would seem that just because Jesus is the Son of God doesn't make him exempt from practicing those ceremonies and those rituals. Every Jewish boy was circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. And so important and so sacred was this rite that it could even be done on the Sabbath day. Now, you remember that there were dozens and dozens of rules and regulations about what was considered work on the Sabbath, what could be done, what couldn't be done, and circumcision was not one of them. It was also at this time that the child would be officially named, and it was always by the father that the the baby was named, and uh, Joseph names the boy Jesus the same name that the angel had given to both uh, Mary and Joseph. Now, we don't know who performed the circumcision ceremony. That person remains nameless. His name isn't recorded in Scripture for us. But every village had a mohel, as it was called, someone who was trained, specifically trained to perform the procedure as well as carry out the rite. The ceremony would take about 30 minutes, the actual cutting, only a couple of seconds. You know, I found it interesting Uh, to note that um, all fathers were supposed to perform the circumcisions of their sons. Now think about it. Just let that sink in for a little while. Um, (laughs) Somewhere along the line, somebody said, you know, this just isn't a good idea. (laughs) And so they created this office of Mohill then that, that took care of that, were specifically trained for it. You know, we also don't know where the circumcision took place. You know, eight days would have been enough time for them to return back to Nazareth. Uh, But more than likely, it was done in Bethlehem. Uh, They probably stayed local, stayed close to Jerusalem uh, because of the uh, other ceremonies that were recorded for us in our scripture for today. The first of those two was uh, the redemption of the firstborn. This is something that goes back to the time of the Exodus, back to the time of the plagues in Egypt. It was the 10th plague, if you'll remember, where the firstborn son was, was, uh, died, you know, was killed uh, by the angel of death. If you didn't have the lamb's blood on the, the lintel and doorposts, uh, you know, it was just prior to the Exodus. The Passover is really what it was, a, uh, was hearkening back to. 
And as a result, the firstborn of both humans and animals belonged to God. And so the father had to go to the temple and offer uh, uh, an offering of five shekels in order to, as it were, buy the child back from God. The next tradition or the next ceremony was the rite of purification. When a woman gave birth in Jesus' day, she was considered to be unclean for 40 days if she had given birth to a boy. If it was a girl, 80 days. Just the way things were. Uh, I related in the first service that when someone was going to give birth, the people of the village would come out and they would wait expectantly to hear the news outside of the, the home, whether it was a boy or whether it was a girl. And if it was a boy, there would be songs and singing and praises and you know, all kinds of uh, noise and, and celebration. And if it was a girl, they said, oh, that's nice. And then they just kind of go home. <laughs> Sorry, but that's just the way it was. You know, they were expecting the Messiah to come. And so that hopefulness would always kick in whenever there was the birth of a baby boy. Um, if a woman was considered to be unclean, she could not participate in anything that was going on at the temple. And so she had to provide an offering at the end of that 40 days. And it was usually a burnt offering. It was a, a lamb that was prescribed in the law that was to be given. And then a sin offering of a dove or a pigeon. A lamb would have been pretty expensive for a family, an ordinary family, to fund in those days. So the law provided for an alternative. And it was the alternative that Mary and Joseph took advantage of. And they offered the two pigeons. This really tells us that Jesus was born into an ordinary home. There were no luxuries, and in fact, it was a place where every penny counted. And when life causes us to worry about things, things such as finances, we have to remember that Jesus is well acquainted with the difficulties of making ends meet. So while these ceremonies are a little strange to us today, we have to remember that each one has as its focus that every child is a gift of God. And that fact is about to be cemented in place with Mary and Joseph. It's really going to be brought home to them with what's about to happen in the temple. But keep in mind that in addition to two appearances of angels to Mary and Joseph, they had just entertained some shepherds at the birth of Jesus, shepherds who had been shaken out of their mundane existence by that angelic chorus. And it was these same angels that had directed the shepherds to the birthplace of the Savior, describing his accommodations as lying in a manger, being wrapped in swaddling bands of cloth. But Mary is about to have more to ponder in her heart. There are two characters that now come on the scene, come into focus in our scripture. We know for certain that one of them was old because it says right in there that Anna was old, was very old is what scripture says. Uh, she was 84. We know some other things about Anna also. She was a prophet, someone who speaks for God. She was a member of the family of Asher, which means that she came from a good Jewish lineage. She had been married, but only for seven years. And then she became a widow. And if she got married at the traditional time when most girls would get married, 15, 16, she probably had been a widow for 60 years. Interestingly, she, had, she never left the temple. 
She was always in the temple, worshiping God, praying, fasting. And I'm thinking that because of that fact, that fact that distinguished her, Mary and Joseph probably knew Anna. She probably had a reputation. Maybe because of her extreme religious practices, maybe she was uh, kind of regarded as a little kooky. You know, it might be that when people came in the temple, oh, there's Anna, we're going to walk around a little bit and, and avoid her because she was so devout in her practicing of what she believed. Above all, she was in tune with God. And I think that's the most important thing that we want to mention about Anna today. She had dedicated her life to worshiping and praying and fasting in the temple precincts. And maybe that's what really made her different. We read that she came up to Mary and Joseph right after Simeon had talked to them. We're going to go back and talk to Simeon in just a moment. But she comes up to Mary and Joseph, and she affirms everything that Simeon had just said about their baby. She gives thanks to God, and she tells anyone who would listen that this was the Redeemer of Israel. It's kind of interesting to note that Mary and Joseph had just brought that offering, the five shekels, to redeem their son back from God. And yet it was this baby who would be the redeemer of their nation and of the whole world. And, of course, think about the price that would be paid for that redemption, buying us back, not from God, but back to God. The other character that we meet in this passage is also in the temple, He probably was old, but we can't be for certain. We know less about Simeon than we do about Anna. Simeon was a man from Jerusalem. Scripture tells us that he was righteous and he was devout. He was waiting, it says, for the consolation of Israel. And that's about all that we know about Simeon. Another way of saying consolation of Israel is really the coming of the Messiah. And so that's what he was waiting for. The word for consolation, the Greek word paraklesis, is the same word for comforter. And you might recognize that comforter is one of the titles of the Holy Spirit. We know that Jesus was responsible for unleashing the full power of the Holy Spirit when he ascended. And many in Israel were looking for the day when the Messiah would come and would the Spirit of God would be more fully realized. One thing that Simeon and Anna uh, both had in common were that they were in tune with God. We have to admit that. They really were focused on all things God. We already talked about Anna, but about Simeon, we read that the Holy Spirit was on him. He was open. He was sensitive to the leading of God's Spirit. And in fact, he had been told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen with his own eyes the Messiah. Now, the fact that Simeon was promised this and the fact that he was waiting probably indicates to us that he was advanced in years, but we're not certain for sure. So as the story unfolds, Simeon continues to be sensitive to the leading of God's Spirit, who guides him now into the temple courts, we read. And it was there that he meets up with Mary and Joseph and the baby. And that same spirit enables him to know just who Jesus is. You know, how incredible is that? To be so in tune with God and his spirit that you're able to recognize things like that. And truth be told, it's not just Simeon that the Holy Spirit seeks out. 
God's Spirit really desires to break through to everyone. You know, whether you realize it or not, there's a constant stream of communication coming to us from God's Spirit. Sometimes we're open, we're able to gain access to that because we're listening. Some are more practiced in listening than others. But let's face it, uh, for most of us, it's like the Holy Spirit is standing behind us with a baseball bat. You know, I kind of picture that, you know, in a, in a room like this, myself included. The Spirit is just trying to break through. This is what I want you to know. This is what I want you to know. This is what I want you to do. And then every now and then I think we need to get kind of a rap on the head, as it were. I'll give you an example. This past week I was meeting uh, Don Trauger, somebody who attends our, uh, our uh, 845 service, for breakfast. And I left the house in plenty of time. And as I was traveling, I realized that there were these vehicles that were getting in front of me. You know, it started out with a van with, I guess it was a retired person in the van. No, you know, nowhere to go. And, and they're just kind of going real slowly. And then it was a school bus. And then, you know, the stop. And then the mothers are waving and the stop. And, and then the bus turned off. And then there was a pickup truck. And it probably was somebody being paid by the hour, not too anxious to get to the work site, the job site. And that took up time. And then I'm finally on 724. I'm getting ready to meet Don at the Coventry Cafe. And a flatbed tractor trailer pulls out from E.P. Henry, loaded down with pavers, five miles an hour. It was then that God's Spirit spoke to me. And I didn't hear a voice but I had a very real realization that I, I knew was from God because it certainly wasn't from me because, you know, as I was getting later and later, as I was being delayed, I was starting to get chest pains. And I'm getting kind of tense and I'm thinking, you know, Don's there waiting for me. And the message that I got was, I wanted you to hear what was on the radio. I was listening to WBYN and it was a, it was a program that had to do with something that I'm currently struggling with. And it was, a good, it was a good thing for me to hear what was on the radio. And you know, all those vehicles that I despised, all of a sudden they became a blessing sent from God so that I would listen to the message that he was trying to deliver to me. I became grateful for them. You know, Simeon and the Holy Spirit had a very special relationship. Look at what happens next. We're going to start with uh, verse 28. Let's look at 28 through 32. Simeon took him, this is Jesus, in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Now listen to the language that Simeon uses here and what he's saying about this, this baby. My eyes have seen your salvation. And he goes on to use the phrase, all nations. And he says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And of course, we know that Gentiles would be any non-Jew. This was an unusual point of view for a Jew to have. Simeon, it would seem, uh, was one of the few who truly 
understood that the Messiah would be for all people. Even though Scripture made that very clear, most Jews believed that they would have an exclusive grasp on the Messiah and that the Messiah, when he came, would fight their battles for them against even other nations. But here Simeon has this idea of inclusiveness. Verse 33 tells us that Jesus' parents marveled at what Simeon said, but Simeon has more to say. Look at verses 34 and 35. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul also. You know, I was really hoping that there would be a baby dedication today. Wouldn't it, it would fit, just would fit, wouldn't it, with what we're talking about here in the Scripture? And I was really hoping that we could reenact, uh, you know, what Simeon had said during that, uh, that baby dedication. Can you imagine? You know, baby dedication is a happy experience, right, a happy time. Can you imagine being told that your child is going to cause many to fall? It's going to be a point of contention, a point of disagreement or arguing, a sign that will be spoken against, as the Scripture says. And then the topper, Simeon says to Mary, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. How would you like to get that news when you're holding your little baby and dedicating them to the Lord? It's probably a good thing that we didn't do that, right? While it would seem that what Simeon said was a little insensitive, what he said was true, every word of it. Jesus would cause the falling and the rising of many. He still does today. And in truth, there are only two choices when it comes to Jesus. You either accept him or you reject him. And he would be a sign that would be spoken against. He still is. Think about uh, the holiday celebrations, the things that are being spoken against in the public square, you know, in our schools, the things that are not permitted. And Mary's soul, it was pierced. It was pierced in a very real way. It was pierced both by Jesus' life, his, his difficult teachings and his ministry and sayings, but it was also pierced by his suffering and his death. I really believe that Simeon was preparing Mary for what was to come. Things were changing. Things were going to be different. In fact, things would never be the same again. A new day was dawning and appeared, it appeared that it wasn't going to be easy either. When the angel first approached Mary, I wonder if it even crossed her mind that there was even a a possibility that her soul would be pierced. How could she possibly prepare for a baby like Jesus? For Simeon and Anna, they were in the sunset years of their lives. The time for their making a difference was coming to a close, but they were still faithful. 
You see, they had made a serious commitment to connect with God and be sensitive to the leading of his spirit. And for doing that, they were blessed, blessed to recognize, blessed to see with their very own eyes the Messiah, the coming salvation of the Lord. Now, they both would have admitted that they wouldn't have been able to do this on their own. If they had depended on their own resources and their own abilities, wouldn't have happened. But instead, they had opened themselves up to the guiding and the direction and the leading of something other than their own wants and desires. They focused on something bigger than themselves, and they were blessed for it. When will we learn to do the same thing? We are moved, we are motivated solely by what we want. And we try to disguise it sometimes, and we try to say, oh, oh, we need that. It's something that we have to have. You know, it makes me wonder if we weren't originally created as the egocentric creatures that we have become. Instead, I just have to think that that egocentricity is is the result of sin, that God really didn't create us that way. He wouldn't create us that way, would he? A perfect creation originally? What's on the other side of the horizon waiting for you? Is there anything that you've caught a glimpse of in the dawn's early light? It is coming, you know. That's what Advent means, coming. Just as Simeon and Anna had prepared themselves to receive their king, we must do the same. And preparation for his coming is a lot more than putting up the lights outside and decorating the Christmas tree. In fact, it's a lot more than most of what we do to get ready for Christmas. However, if we do miss it, we'll be in good company because a lot of people do. If we miss the true message and the true meaning of Christmas, we'll be just like all those who were in the temple precincts that day, milling around Mary, Joseph, and the baby, and Simeon and Anna, oblivious, just oblivious to what was going on. You see, up until this point, it had only been a handful of shepherds and these two senior citizens in the temple that recognized and realized who Jesus was. But you see, we're called, and we're called not to miss it. Ephesians 1.4 says, For he chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And how do we become holy and blameless? There's only one way that I know of, and that's to accept the gift of salvation that we find in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, it's coming. It's really already here. But in the Advent, we celebrate it again. Many have already heard him, many have already received him, but it's time to welcome him again for the very first time. Does that make sense? To welcome him again, but for the very first time. The Advent calls us, it encourages us to prepare and to receive him anew, just like it's the very first time. But we aren't forced. He doesn't coerce us. In fact, it is easily missed. And what he's bringing is many times not easy, just as it wouldn't be easy for Mary and as she found out. But what he brings is always a blessing. In a moment, we're going to watch a video. And as you do, 
please contemplate what Christ's coming means to you personally. How will the dawning inspire you? How will God's glory change you? How will the hope revealed in Jesus equip you? Let's pray. God, as we prepare to celebrate the sending of your Son, may we take the time to prepare, to prepare our hearts and prepare our minds to receive him again for the very first time with freshness and newness of spirit. May we seek to welcome Jesus into our hearts and into our homes. And most importantly, may we welcome him into our daily lives so that the light of his dawning may continue to make a difference in our world. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.